Hello everybody, this is Michael Hollands for Film Music Media. Today I'm talking to none other than Mr. David Newman, one of the industry's finest composers and conductors. Over the past decades, Mr. Newman has established himself as one of the most distinctive composers working, scoring more than 100 motion pictures. For instance, The War of the Roses, Broke Down Palace, Hoffa, Ice Age, The Affair of the Necklace, Serenity, the Oscar-nominated Anastasia, Tarzan, and many more up to his most recent project, Five Flights Up, starring Morgan Freeman. Thank you for joining me today, David. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, David, when looking at your family and musical background, um, it certainly comes as no surprise at all that you became a composer as well. Um, when did you decide that you wanted to study music and to become a film, a film composer? Um, well, in my family, we were all... Um... We were all made to study. We, we all started with violin at a very early age, and we were classically tra trained. So I, I, I did violin and piano, and in college, uh, what we call you know university, I, uh, I studied violin and piano and conducting, but I never really studied composition. Um, I worked as a professional violinist in my 20s. Uh, maybe up to age 28, 29, a little bit beyond that, um, doing film and television work. I actually played on the movie E.T. and played on several John Williams, other John Williams films, and Al, uh, and uh, Lalo Schifrin and um, Jerry Goldsmith. And, um, you know, I had a lot of experience. I played on a lot of movies, and I just sort of gradually came to the conclusion that I wanted to write film music, um, since I was very well trained in music, um, my father had us kind of had we, we had a more European training. We we did um, theory and counterpoint and, and all the disciplines when we were pretty young, you know, twelve or thirteen, a little, a little more what would what would go on in Europe or at least in Europe in the nineteenth century. And so I you know I knew how to I knew how to write things and I just did, you know had no experience composing. So it took me about three or four years. To figure it out, it didn't really come very naturally to me. Um, I had studied orchestration, but um, orchestration is very difficult to learn. It's more of a thing that you experience, and you make mistakes, and you um, and you fix them, and then you 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 start to understand how it works. Even even me that had played in orchestra, tons of orchestras all my life, from being a young person, um, orchestration was still difficult for me to to learn. Um, and then, you know, gradually I, I, I started to I get a little bit of work and then more work and, and it just kind of uh, developed from there. But really my training was all kind of normal classical music, orchestral, uh, you know, private lessons every week, uh, university playing in all these young youth orchestras and then uh, professionally freelancing in Los Angeles. So that's kind of my uh, my trajectory. The conducting I was always really interested in. I always studied privately, um, even through my 20s. Um, but then when the film composing started, that kind of fell off. I mean, I was doing stuff here and there, but not nearly as much as I've been doing in the last five or six years with all the live movie stuff that's going on um, in uh, the world now. So I've been doing a lot more lately.
last five years or so. Okay. Um, when you started out in um in nineteen eighty seven, I believe it was, you mm -hmm. had your first collaboration uh, with Danny DeVito. Yeah. On throw from, Mama from the Train. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And yeah. I think you did four more movies with him, inclu yeah. including The War of the Roses. Yeah. Um, how did you, in general, approach the scores with Danny, and what type of director is Danny? Um. Well, he evolved. I mean, but I think he always had a really clear vision of what he wanted to do in his movies. He, he loves mixing comedy with sort of a dark, the dark part of humanity, but, but making it kind of funny, but there's a lot of pathos in it. Um, it's very, it was always very good, his movies, the richness of the way that they looked and the subject matter always was good for music because it was, a, everything was a little hyped up in the movies. Uh, the way things are shot, the way it looks, the stories, uh, all that um, is really allows for you to do to push the music a little more than you normally could in a, you know, that era reality kind of film. Um, so it always just was very simpatico for me, all 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 through all the stuff that we did. Um, we're we're doing um, we're working uh, on doing Matilda now as a live film um do you guys do you know about you know about all the live film stuff that's going on or um you know where you you do the movie with a with an orchestra live uh, yeah you mute the music on the, on the yeah so we're we're um going to book uh we're we're working on matilda to do that as a live movie because we think that would be an interesting thing to do and danny might do um some of the voiceover there's a lot of voiceover narration in that movie and he'll um Hopefully, on some venues, he'll do it live, which we think will be fun too for him right. to to do all that. So um, I had a great collaboration um, with him. The last thing I did, I think, was um, he did what was that? There was a movie called Duplex, which yeah. he took over from. Yeah, that was kind of the last thing that we did together, like like that, really. So. Okay. Well, I like those movies a lot. I mean, especially Throw Mama from the Train yeah. and uh, The War of the Roses, which is one of my all-time favorite um, dark comedies. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I love the, the score and especially the um, the opening credits. That's yeah. really great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a the, the that's a perfect that's a perfect kind of subject matter for somebody like for 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 Danny because you know. It's funny, and then they they, they it's they fight to the death, you know, and they yeah. they really go to the death to the to the end, and there's all this poetry in it, and and it, things aren't what they seem, and you can just do so much. There's so many opportunities with music to 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 do stuff. Um, a lot of times with film score, you have to be really careful that you don't push it beyond what the movie can handle. Yeah, I know that seems like an obvious thing uh, for somebody, but it's it's not because you start writing music and you want to sort of follow along where the music takes you because music has its own sort of syntax and it makes its own sense. But you can't do that. You you have to adjust it to what the movie can handle and where the movie's going. So it's a it's a hard it's very hard to learn that. Or at least it was for me, especially in a movie that's. 
genre movie like that. I mean, I guess you could say it's a dark comedy, War of the Roses, but it doesn't really, I think, define what it really is. It, 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 it's a little bit different than a dark comedy. It's, um, it, it, it just keeps switching off between drama and comedy, or maybe it's just a dark drama that's kind of funny sometimes and allows yeah. you to, you know, and, and a lot of times, so you write music for something dark, but you need to allow the audience to be able to laugh. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so you can't push it so far that they can't laugh. Yeah. That was particularly true in Throw Mama from the Train, where I, I really, I did, I wrote a main title that just was too much. It wasn't, it didn't allow, it wasn't crazy enough and it didn't allow the audience to laugh. And so I rewrote it. I, I learned on that kind of the style, his, his, what he, what, what worked in his movies from that, from Throw Mama from the Train. Yeah, yeah. The main title, yeah. Well, that's always an interesting, you know, point, the psychological effect of film music or of music in general. Um, and when you put it up against the images, you know, what music uh, can do, um, like he just said, um, give the, the audience license to laugh or just, yeah. you know, uh, that's a very difficult thing to do, actually. Um, but I think in Throw Mama, it worked really well, and especially in The War from the Roses, yeah. um, of the Roses, and... Um, Really, the film itself with Michael Douglas, I think um, there are some funny scenes in it, and many scenes are really funny. But yeah. it's it's a borderline thing sometimes. It's really sad, it, and it, yeah, it really is. I mean, he he never understand. He never he never understands what happened. Yeah, and and it's so the last thing when she, I mean, not to spoil, but you know, you know, when they're dying, that 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 whole scene when they're dying, he still doesn't understand it. Yeah. He goes to his death not understanding what happened to him. Absolutely. And for, and for her, it, it's almost a war against men in a way, or the male ethos in society in America, or, or you know, whatever. Um, how the men just don't listen. You know, it, it's it's like <laughs> uh, she's she's it, it it becomes a battle of of male female almost in a in a in a way, and it, and there is a lot of pathos in it. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work to push that too much. You know, it, 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 it when you start pushing it, it's, it's less, it has less pathos than yeah. it, than it, than it does. It's, it was, it's very tricky. It's, it's simple. It, it, we just found ourselves, Danny and me, it was very simpatico. We were very, um, the, the, the original score that Danny liked for, Throw Mama from the Train of All Things was a score I did a couple years before called Critters that yeah. Stephen Herrick directed. Yeah. And that music had absolutely nothing to do with Throw Mama from the Train. He, he attempted in, and it was so dark and mean and violent, but he saw something, I think, that was funny in it, because that also was a comedy. But it was the music was really dense and... Um, I don't know how to describe it. It was it was like taking a baseball bat and pounding people on the head. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm not I'm not saying the score. I like the score for Critters, but it was a horror movie and it was a different thing. But he seemed to see find something in it, a humor in it, at the same time being violent and dark. And I think that's what he what he needed in his in his movies. Yeah. And I mean, Hoffa was a different. But it's still, it's still the same thing. Um, he has a very weird point of view um, about 
a visual point of view. And, and the films are always really um, rich and maybe, I don't know, for want of a better word, they're sort of rich and creamy. They're yes. really, really good for music. Yes, absolutely. So it's really fun writing music for what he shot. Um, and I think he's at heart a sort of operatic soul. He loves opera. He, he loves his Italian heritage. And there's a lot of that in it. You know, a lot of Italian opera kind of-ish, I don't know, for want of a better word, <laughs> uh, uh, thing, things in it, you know? Well, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. And like you said, his movies, um, I think, give a composer a tremendous amount of freedom. Um, and especially Hoffa. I love the movie. And of course, Jack Nicholson's one of my, my favorite actors. And the story itself, it worked so well on screen. And of course, your score just complemented the images so well. And I think um, one of the cues, I think it's called um, Trucker's Salute. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one of... Um, one of the cues uh, that you wrote that I listened to the most, and they they also use it in several trailers. For instance, yeah, the, for a while, yeah, yeah, for a while it was licensed a lot for yeah, for... especially LA Confidential. I, rem I remember that clearly. Clearly, I loved, loved the trailer, and when the music just popped in, that was a great moment. Actually, I think I think I made more money off licensing the trailer music than I did on the movie. <laughs> okay, so I, that was a. That was a little bit of a different movie, but uh, in a lot of Danny's movie, there's a lot of um, POV, uh, where, where point of view, where uh, one character, the, the camera's on the character that's not talking, mm -hmm. and you watch them listening. And the, the movie Hoffa was about, well, Hoffa's a weird character for an American, yep. because he's a very negative um He's an anti-hero, and he's really not really. He's really not all that heroic, a fi you know, a figure in America. Uh, I don't know what it's like in Europe because it's you know I'm sure it's it, you guys look at it differently. But in America, it's a weird it's a weird thing to take Hoffa and make him an anti-hero, yeah. Which is sort of what the movie was about. But when you look at what he did, that he organized all those men, the the truckers which was basically what the story was about, was him, him organizing uh, under horrible conditions, uh, yes. bringing these workers together so that they could uh, exercise their, their right to strike for better conditions and, and all that. Um, yeah. it, but he does it by talking. He's talking, talking. To, he's, he's always talking in the movie. And so a lot of the score was trying to deal with this incessant talking and then this heroic aspect of, of, of Hoffa. But it was complicated because he's not really a hero. He's a he was a bad guy, you know, and he just, he just, it was like, it's, it's sort of like the mafia thing. You know, yeah. I, you always hear them say they're doing it for their family. Everything I do, I do because they're very family oriented oriented. And, yeah. and, but, you get a sense that that's not really why they're doing it. They're, they're doing it for power and because it's a tradition in, in that kind of world. So it was a, that was a very tricky movie to, to do. It started off great because I, I wrote a trailer, mm -hmm. so I didn't have to deal very much with temporary music, with temp music. Yeah. Um, 
but it it was it was it was a very difficult one to do. Um, I think we spent on and off a, almost six months or a year posting uh, that movie. So okay. anyway, it's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, David, um, what other composers, um, past or present, do you admire the most personally? I I think recently for me, I mean, of course, I think Jerry Goldsmith was yeah, yeah. hegemonic, and and John Williams. I think what's interesting about the late 20th century is that you have those two sort of icons looming over everything. I mean, you have Alex North, you have Mancini, yeah. You know, I, I think the score to Spartacus might be the best score, or my favorite score of the 20th century. But story. in terms of sheer output and uh, influence, I think you'd have to say Goldsmith and yeah. Williams. And Goldsmith goes from one end of the spectrum in. So if you if you look at Goldsmith as sort of a a, a modernist in a way, yeah. So he's moving towards the populist form that's film music and john williams i think which is really a populist at heart yeah but moves a little more into the modernist part of film scoring and you you have the whole sort of spectrum for this you know what was it i mean john williams is still going and jerry died i think in 2004 i think he died yeah it was four, but i mean yeah. you know that's almost 50 years and john williams is still going so it, it, it that but lately um I've been uh, thinking and listening about a lot about Alfred Newman, about my father, yeah. for obvious reasons, um, because of the nature of his ability to conduct and perform his music and the ability to administrate, which is a whole different thing. John Williams and, Golds and Goldsmith grew up in the studio system, but not you know most of their life was in the freelance world which started in 19 um 59 60 when the studios um broke up yeah uh all of, almost all of alfred newman's career as well as of course steiner and um Korngold and 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 the rest of them completely different thing so the ones that ran studios they they were administrators and i think um when you think of say the great music directors Say in America, you know, Zell and Ormandy and Stokowski and, and um, or, or in, in Europe, you know, Carion or Furtwängler um, or or um, Mengelberg and the Concertgebouw. Um, a lot of their job is administrating, is picking the players, training the players, um, stuff that doesn't really happen the same way now. Uh, You know, they finally got smart, the musicians, and unionized so they couldn't be abused because a lot of these guys were very abusive. Uh, but um, I'm fascinated now by Alfred Newman's output, particularly his score for, um, of all things, the, the, the movie All About Eve, the 1950 uh, movie. It all, it's, it's, it's over two hours, the movie, and it has uh, maybe 30 minutes of music. Yeah. But I think it's an extraordinary score, and... The score from Captain from Castile, which has a ton of music, yeah. uh, especially the beginning. There are cues in it that I think are just absolutely transcendental. And I think part of the reason they're so good is the, the playing, the, the way the orchestra plays. So it's almost impossible to separate the playing from the music. And therefore, you have to sort of add in the administration. He's picking everything. He has complete authority 
he's picking all the players, the orchestrators, other composers to do the other, all the other films that they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a remarkable achievement. It's just, it, it's, it's a different, it's a different kind of career in life than Goldsmith or John Williams, but um, it's, it's interesting. And it's where this all, it's where everything comes from. If you yeah. figure real film music started in 1933 with Steiner doing um, King Kong. Yeah. That, 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 that to me, that, that is based, that's kind of where it really started, where modern film scores started original music for a film and not using canned music. And uh, so the, 33 to about 59 and then, you know, 1960, you know, this when Mancini comes in and, and Alex North, you know, it's, it, the lines are sort of blurred yeah. you know, from the fifties into the sixties and then, in, and then, and then kind of into the modern era. Yeah, and now we're now we're in a little bit different era where John Williams is sort of the kind of last holdout in a way of that era. Um, that we're in a little bit of a different, you know, technology's made it a, a, a lot different what a film score is now. Yeah, absolutely. So, but you know, that's another whole another conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. Um, but speaking of that, um, nowadays. Um, not only the music has changed, but also the schedules are more compressed, I think, than they used to uh -huh. be. Also due to, you know, the faster editing process. Um, how do you handle um, the pressure of that when a director says, okay, we got the film, it's edited, but where's the music? And how do you handle that? And how, um, how, many, mu how many minutes of music a day do you actually have yeah. to write? Um, I mean, it depends. Uh, it's not all that different. Uh, even though it, it's 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 e much easier to edit, they just people they just keep editing. Everyone just fills up all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's not true. Some some movies in the 30s and 40s had to be written in days, you know, and uh, and w would be written by multiple people. That's why there was a big music department. Say at Fox, they'd have eight or nine composers on staff, and they'd help each other out if. Um, uh, I think this has always been the, the way it is. I, I, I think what's changed with technology is the ability of people that are more on the producer's side of music to actually write film scores. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I think it's kind of the same. Some movies you can go on forever. You know, if you figure that the up to 59, you had an orchestra on call all the time. Yeah. It was no problem to rewrite a to, to redo a cue, you know? So there was, you know, if you figure that your orchestra was like your digital audio workstation, your, what, what we call a DAW, which is what we all use now to do mock-ups. Mm -hmm. um, now, now that's what you use. You use a computer to show whoever's in charge um, what the music's going to be. In that day, you just recorded it, and then if something needed to be changed, you just recorded it again. It didn't cost any more money. Um, when the studio system went away, it did, for a while, cost more money, and you would go and redo. The only way to redo something, to you know, to, you'd hear a cue and they wouldn't like it, and you'd have to go in and redo it. Yeah. But once the technology came, everything you you mock up everything on a on a digital audio workstation with you know the samples and. It's certainly good enough that the, the powers that be can tell what it's going to be. And so that's kind of what's different. It's, 
it's not all that different. What's different is the kind of person that's writing film music now. Mm-hmm. You have a whole a section that are more producer type. They don't, they don't, they're not as trained in what historically the people that wrote film music were trained in. Mm-hmm. So it's no better or worse. It's just different. Also, what's, what is different is the, uh, the sound effect component of movies. Obviously, obviously that's different. And obviously that affects what kind of music you can write and how, how it's going to be heard and how subtle you can be and, what you can or can't do. That's been drastically affected by technology. Yeah. You know, it's a big fight for the, there's only so much sound you can put out. And so if everyone's just, you know, pedal, as we call here, pedal to the metal is, you know, going as hard and fast as they can, something has to give. So um, that's, that's, that's an issue now is, is how to strategize, you know, what kind of, and you don't ever know what the sounds are going to be till it's kind of done. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, 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 they're working on the sound effects in the dub. You, you don't really hear the sound effects until they actually start dubbing the film. And when they're dubbing the film, ge- the, the music has generally been done and recorded. Yeah. So that's very tricky. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, while I think um, the point you just, you just made is a very good one, but I think many um, aspects have changed. And I, I hear quite a few people um, complaining, if I can call it that, about the um, decline of um, the quality of movies. Yeah. Um, many people perceive that um, the studio policy and filmmaking in general have changed to a degree that it is more important to market and to sell something as opposed to making a good movie. Yeah. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think movies, as they get more and more expensive, it's natural, and, and they're owned by corporations. It's, not, it's just a natural evolution of, of what it is. They figured out for the time being how to, how to pick the right movie that will sell all over the world so to sell a movie everywhere in the world, it has to be a certain kind of movie. That's why the the the, the comic book movies work so well. They're like they're like graphic novels. Yeah. That even if you don't understand the language, you can you can tell what the story is, and then you have really exciting uh, special effects and you know really spectacular stories. I mean, th- th- there's an analog like. Um, uh, I'm a big opera person. Mm-hmm. In fact, I love German opera. But yeah. when you think of Baroque opera, which is 1600, say, to 1750, that's 150 years, mm-hmm. uh, which basically was in Italy, in Venice, and in Florence, a little bit in Rome, but particularly in Venice, where composers from all over Europe would come and have a contract and do operas. And that was the big spectacular event. So say that those were like the movies of the day. They got more and more and more spectacular. More and more of it was about special effects and vocal pyrotechnics. And um, it just got crazier and crazier and crazier as the years went on. And I think that's sort of a natural evolution. And, and the operas got, you know, you don't remember any Baroque operas. I, I, I mean, Monteverdi, maybe in, in the beginning, in the 1600 and 1650, there's some of those that are still in that repertoire, but there's hundreds or thousands of them that no one's ever 
going to ever hear again. I mean, there's handle, there's a few of them, but um, it's just, it was kind of just, you know, you'd write an opera and it would, it would last for a couple of weeks and it'd never be heard of again. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it got reformed and, and, and Mozart came and, and, you know, German opera became a little more hegemonic and then it, it affected Italian, you know, and, and all that. And it cycled around. It seems, it, that seems very much like what's going on with movies you give the people what they want. You yeah, make the yeah. most money you want. It really isn't. Doesn't matter if the movie's any good or not. That's really sec. That is only to to lure artists to to try to make a movie. You know, they can't. A corporation can't make a movie themselves. They have to hire people to make it. And the people that want to make movies view themselves as artists. Yeah. And they kill themselves and want to do a good job. Everyone that does it, but. They're not the, the the corporation really isn't interested in the artistry. They're just interested in the um, the money, yeah, and and what they can and and the ancillary stuff. The you know if it Disney the rides that you can make, the stuff that you can sell. It's just you know obviously it's not good for the art of it. It it it's just common sense that it's not gonna it's not gonna be as good art if that's the if that's the goal. Yeah. I don't know where it's gonna go. I think if it didn't cost so much money, it would be different. But it just does. They they figured that it it makes more sense to make just a few movies that cost two, three, four hundred million dollars that they are sure that they can sell than to make, you know, 20 movies that cost, you know, between 50 and 80 million dollars, which is what they used to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So it just it is what it is. There's still good movies being made. Yes. Uh, it's it's just it's just a lot different than it was for for everyone. And of yeah. course, there's there's television being made but they that's a different that's a whole different model and it's not there's there's not the history of uh music and tv that there is in film so still film is the the main thing that you'd want to do uh as a composer yeah i totally agree um well i couldn't agree more actually it is um the blockbuster system is so huge nowadays and then the movies cost 200 million 300 million and uh it's like it's like a safe bet, you know, do, doing a Marvel movie or doing four or five yeah. Marvel movies, and they they sell many many tickets, and maybe the studios are just afraid of taking of taking a chance and investing in something that is more, uh, let's say, original or something they that they they would have to start from scratch, you know, a new screenplay, yeah. totally new idea. It's a very difficult um, situation, and I think. Well, and and every time. You know, it's not that they don't try to do that because once in a while they do, but most of them fail. So every time it fails, you know, it's it, it's that much harder to, to start a new, you know, even if they want to start a new tent pole, what they, yeah. they call them tent poles, if it fails, it's, you know, you just go back to the tried and true and just keep doing whatever worked, just keep doing it over and over and over again. It's just natural. It's the corporate, it's the corporate mentality. And the more expensive um, the, the movies are, the only organizations that can make them are corporations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dave, how would you personally describe the ideal director-composer relationship? Oh, I think it's the, what we all went for, um, you know, like uh, John Williams has with Spielberg or yeah. Alan Silvestri has with Zemeckis or yeah. what I had with... Um, DeVito, uh, or, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that, it's, it's that relationship. That's what, that's the highest, that's the best situation. There's already a built-in trust. There's already a, a, a shorthand, um, you know, 
it, 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 it's much harder to do that now, mm-hmm. uh, be, be, mainly because, you know, there's so many, there's so much, there's so many one-offs. So, um, but, uh, you know, that, that was the, that was the ideal, mm-hmm. you know, obviously John, John Williams is still doing that and, uh, Alan's doing that and, um, you know, and there are other ones too. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking, but, uh, but there, there used to be a lot more of that. Yeah. There is now. Those are old relationships that started, you know, in the seventies, eighties. So, and those guys are still working. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> um, you did your last film five flights up in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, the score was released a little bit later. And mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this project? You did it with, um, Richard Longcrane, right? Yeah, it was great. Uh, I mean, it was a small, movie but i like i really liked it it was a it was a very original unusual movie mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun to work on there wasn't a whole lot of music wasn't a huge budget um yeah. but but um it was really intellectually and um viscerally interesting to mm-hmm. do i love them i love morgan freeman yeah me and, too. and and it, you know it was it's a gentle little movie so um i didn't you know no one thought it was going to be a big blockbuster but um it, i i loved i loved working on it And they were great. All the people were 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 wonderful to work with. So um, okay, um, yeah. So I spent most of this year conducting, and yeah. I'm gonna do something early next year. I just don't. I I haven't signed it yet, so I can't say what it is. But no problem. Um, I, I've, I've been. I, I again, the conducting things kind of been, and and then the live movie thing, where the Matilda thing that we're doing. Yeah, has become very interesting to me, um, and it it's not. A horrible business either so um it's been it's been interesting i'm glad i have that ability uh that i spent all that time conducting and yeah. uh, i've been able to conduct really really terrific um orchestras you know we have some great orchestras here in america and um and i was in um uh in uh, schleswig holstein uh yeah. two years ago and i'm going to go again this year uh, i loved that that was great and i'm going to be in berlin this year i think too mm-hmm. in uh june okay. doing something i can't remember uh, uh, maybe a <laughs> disney a, a disney thing or something i'm not great. sure okay. but it's with the really it's not it's the um it's not the berlin philharmonic obviously what's the other orchestra is there a radio orchestra in berlin are where are you based um i'm based in southern germany in hesse actually that's let's yeah. let's say 50 miles from frankfurt yeah 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 um Yeah, I, so I've been to Hamburg. I have some f- good friends in Hamburg, and I've been to Berlin several several times. Mm-hmm. I love Berlin; it's great. I've done. I did two film scores in Berlin. Great. I did um, uh, uh, Animals United in the Tarzan for the Constantine yeah. film. Um, I loved. We, we Chris and I love. My wife and I we loved being there. Yeah, um, well, those scores. Yeah, Animals United. I really like the score in Tarzan. Tarzan was my, one of my favorite scores of the last two or three years that was a fantastic score thank you very much i really enjoyed the whole uh, i love the studio the engineer the the people um and they become quite good friends so i'll hopefully uh get to see them when we're back in schleswig because uh, hamburg i think it's it's only like a half hour away where we ended up in schleswig holstein's the state right it's a state isn't it uh yeah yeah anyway, i'm not we were in it Neumannster, I think, is where we ended up. <laughs> way, way north. Okay. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that properly, but yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, well, um, 
Schleswig-Holstein, the um, concert is coming up in July 2016, yeah. I believe. Yeah, uh, we're doing ET. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. And uh, well, I checked that um, a couple of hours ago on your homepage. Um, it's a Monday and a Tuesday, I believe, and I hope I can you know, clear my um, work schedule to. Um... Yeah, let me know if you let me know if you uh, come. Would lo love to meet in person. That would be great. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking, okay. I would have. It would have been great. Well, I was at a Hollywood in Vienna um, this year, and uh, when uh, when it did the James Newton Howard. Yeah, with uh, Keith. Yeah. How was that? How did how did that go? Oh, it it was um, fantastic. Actually, it was such a fantastic, brilliant concert. Um, music yeah. selection was great. Um, I did I did a full report on Hollywood in Vienna. Maybe I could send it over. Maybe yeah, you would want to read it. And I uh, did I did I did three of those. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I I've seen them all on on television, yeah. but unfortunately, at that time, I never I was never able to 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 fly to Vienna. And this year, when I got my tickets, I you were not there, unfortunately. <laughs> and. Uh, well, everything at the end happened so fast. I didn't even get to meet Keith. I didn't I didn't really see him, but I met uh, several other people, including, of course, Sandra Tomek yeah. and Michael Bulgavi and, ja and James James Newton Howard, of course. That was one of my um, one of the favorite moments of of my young life, actually. Oh, well, I, I love James' music, and um, that was an actual highlight. And the event is, is is great, and everything worked out just beautifully. I, yeah. I think so. Great, great. All right. Yeah, um, Dave, I think we're a little bit over time, actually. <laughs> and um, let me just thank you again for um, taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you were very busy at the time. Um, it was great talking to you. I really enjoyed it. It was a, an honor for me. I really, I was introduced to your music at the age of eight or nine, I believe. Oh, God. And yeah, it was over 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I started out well. I think the Mighty Ducks and you know um, the War of the Roses and all and all that that, that stuff. The Nazi Professor. Um, yeah, um, Tommy Boy or Tommy Boy. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and and, and um, that was the start, and I've been hooked ever since. And thank you so much. Um, I would love to meet in person. Maybe we can work yeah. something out. I'm positive. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, let me. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be in Berlin, and then I'm. Gonna, I, I. I don't think that's on my website yet, but I'll put it when it gets settled up. And and definitely, um, in Schleswig-Holstein. Let me know if you um, if you come. And thanks yeah. for thanks for talking about and loving movie music. I, I. We we all really appreciate all you guys out there listening and and um, and loving it like we do. Yeah, like I said at the beginning, it's it's my life, and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. That's uh, that's a great great. Um... You know, passion. All right, David. Thank you very much. And nice. up front, I wish you just the best. And and you as well. Thank, thank you, you, Dave. Bye, Dave. Bye. -bye.